Are you ready for what God has for us? I was reminded as I was driving in this morning, I don't have anything for you. God reminded me that he has everything for me if I will but seek him, and therefore he has everything for you as we draw together. I ask you to take your Bible and open up to the book of Job chapter 9. Job chapter 9. If you're using that pew Bible there in front of you, it's on page 583. Job chapter 9. I'll get there in just a few minutes, and uh, we will stand and read in just a few minutes. I am married to an English major, which means about twice every Sunday morning she cringes. Uh, I, however, routinely misuse the English language, and you all go, amen, we know. I'm actually worse at grammar. I regularly cannot tell you if a word is an adverb or an adjective. Sentence diagramming is a nightmare. And when in high school, my English teacher got so frustrated when I would write papers that she would stop reading and grading my paper as soon as I ran, as soon as she ran into what she called a comma splice. And she would just give me an F and I would get to rewrite all these papers. Now, a comma splice, just in case you didn't know for all the grammatically illiterates that joined me, a comma splice is when you join two independent clauses with a comma and no conjunction. You're going, Jeff, you are speaking so much Greek right now. I get it. Some believe that this is called a run-on sentence, and others believe it is simply a punctuation error. It is formally called a comma splice. I wanted to give you an example of a comma splice. Koala bears are not actually bears, comma, they are marsupials. And I'm going, that sounds correct to me. But it's not. It's a comma splice. And so there are three ways that you can fix a comma splice. And so I go home, the grammatically illiterate one in my family, and I'm talking to Angela, and I'm talking to Micah, and I go, do you know that there are three ways to fix a comma splice? And they go, yeah. <laughs> and I go, okay, what are they? And they quoted all three of these things. They just bam, bam, bam. And I'm going, man, I am such a dummy. But let me tell you how to fix a comma splice. There are three ways. One is add a conjunction, a conjunction like and or but or so, let me correct this sentence. Koala bears are not bears, comma, but they are marsupials. If I'd have figured that out in high school, I'd have got a lot better grades. Or if you don't want to add a conjunction, you can change the comma to a semicolon. I read this statement this week. I still don't get it in trying to describe to me why I needed to change from a comma to a semicolon, this quote I read, this is an intellectually stated quote that my wife goes, yeah, the reason you have to change from a comma to a semicolon is because, quote, a comma is not strong enough to hold two independent clauses together, but a semicolon is. And I had no idea that punctuation marks had different degrees of strength.
But Angela did. She said, yeah, semicolons are much stronger than commas. So here's the question. Here's the way to say that if you just fix it with a semicolon. Koala bears are not bears, semicolon, they are marsupials. All of a sudden, we have a proper sentence. So you can add a conjunction, you can create a uh, semicolon instead of a comma, or the third way to fix a comma splice is to make it separate sentences, simply. Koala bears are not bears, period. They are marsupials, period. And I'm going, okay, I've learned something. Some of you are going, well, I just learned something. Some of you are going, I still don't know what it's talking about. <laughs> but did you know, and this is the hardest part for me, grammatically speaking, is that sometimes the rules say it is okay to use a comma splice. When what you're writing is artistic in nature, because you can share thoughts, random observations, you can create a sense of grandeur, or in poetry, when it just doesn't seem to fit the right rhythm. Now, I'm not a poetry author, and you're going, we know that. But if you are, you understand that sometimes when you write, you need it to hit a certain kind of cadence and a certain kind of flow that a period rex and a comma helps. Did you know that the book of Job contains many comma splices? You remember I talked about in Job when we entered into it, the first four chapters were all about narrative, and then when we got into the discussion types, five through into 37 are more of poetry, even further than that when God speaks. And so there are comma splices, but Job would not have got an F on his paper because it fits the what I've also learned, the outlaw rules of grammar. It's okay. Now, I can tell you the difference between a noun and a verb. A noun is a person, place, or thing. I learned that on Schoolhouse Rock. And a verb is an action. Just so you don't think that your pastor is totally unsmart. So today we're going to shift our focus from the conversations between Job and his friend Eliphaz. Remember we talked about Job and Eliphaz last week. And we're going to shift our conversation to Job and another friend, Bildad. And if you want to read at home and do your homework, and I encourage you to do so, let me just give you a little bit of an outline. Bildab speaks to Job in Job chapter 8. Job responds in Job chapter 9 and 10. Bildad speaks again in Job chapter 18. Job replies back to him in Job chapter 19. Bildad speaks to Job again in Job 25. And, Bild yeah, and then Job speaks back to Bildad in Job chapter 26 and following where Job does his recap to all of his friends. I encourage you to take time and read these 12 chapters of dialogue between these friends, Job and Bildad. You see, God's Word has much for you, every chapter, every verse. And I have spent time every day reading these, and so I'm going to pull from all of that as we walk through Job and Bildad's conversations. Now, as I mentioned to you in chapter 8, Bildad has just spoken, because we're in chapter 9. Job is going to speak when we stand and read in just a second. But Bildad picks up almost where Eliphaz, his elder friend, stopped. I'll give you a couple of things. If you're in Job chapter 9, just look over at Job chapter 8 for just a second. Verse 2 says, how long will you keep talking like this? Your constant talking is making a strong wind. Bildad says, Job, all you're doing 
is just flapping your gums. Verse 3, Job, God is always fair. God is never unjust. Bildad is saying again, God blesses those who are upright and good, and he curses those who are sinful and bad. And Job, you are bad. Job, you are openly sinning before God. It gets rather personal, even more personal, in Job chapter 8, verse 4, when he insinuates that God has cast your children away because of their sin. What kind of friend says, Job, your kids deserved what they got? And in verses 5 through 7, Job, he says, seek God, make supplication before him. If you will become pure and upright, which is his way of saying, Job, you're not pure and upright, God will respond to you, God will prosper you, and your ending will be greater than your beginning. Job, he says, Job, if you'll just turn from your sin and turn back to God, God will make everything roses again in your life. That's what Bildad is saying. And in verse 20, in chapter 8, he says, God will never cast away the blameless. And in verse 21, he says, God will fill the mouths of the good with laughter and their lips with rejoicing. That's Bildad's look on this is, Job, I'm your friend. I love you. I've sat here for a week. I've listened to you. Job, you don't make any sense. Just turn to God, and God will fix all this. And now we pick up in Job chapter 9, which is where we're going to stand and reach. I ask you to stand with me. We're going to read Job chapter 9. I'm going to read the first 15 verses, and then I'm going to skip to verses 31 and 32. I'm sorry, 32 and 33, we're going to read those. So 1 to 15, 32 and 33. Here we go. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and prospered. He removes the mountains, and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of his place, and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun, and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out, yet wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud, he, he prostrates beneath him. For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. Now move over with me to verse 32 and 33. For he, that's a capital H, he, that's God. For he is not a man as I am that I may answer him, and that, he should go to, that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. All right. Thank you, church. You may be seated. We're going to walk through this scripture here just for a few minutes. Job starts in verse 2 of chapter 9. He says, I know this to be true. Job is agreeing with Bildad on what I believe are Bildad's final comments, that God will not cast away the blameless, but I believe Job knows that this is a permanent future thought, not a momentary thought. And in verse 21, God will 
fill your mouth with laughing. I think this is the future promise of faithfulness. And Job is putting out there, he says, yes, there will be a time when God will judge each man, and that man will either be separated from God or that man will be made right with God. They will either rejoice or be separated. That's what Job is saying. He says, I know that this is true. Job says, I know that God will rightly judge in the end. But let's look at verse 2 really closely for just a second. Starts off with the word, or verse 2. Notice the word, but. Now, I'd, I wanted to sense diagram this thing just a little bit because it says here, truly I know it is so, comma, but how can a man be righteous before God? Well, if you remove that word, but, and you do nothing else, you have a comma splice, right? Well, the ways to fix a comma splice are add the word but, and it's good, or make it two separate statements, and we could say that truly I know this is so. How can a man be righteous before God? Church, do you know, do you believe that one day God will rightly judge all people? Do you know that to be a factual truth that we anticipate occurring one day in the future? We read in uh, Daniel, we were in Daniel chapter 5 today, and we talked about in there how um, Belshazzar was living his life as if God did not exist. And Daniel reminded him, he said, you are cursing the God who holds your very breath and knows the course of your life. Church, that God, if you follow the course of that life, that life ends up standing before God one day, Scripture teaches. And Job says, I know it's true. I know one day there will be judgment, or one day there will be rejoicing. He says, I know it's true. Church, do you believe that that is true, that one day everybody, me and you, We'll stand before God. And did you or do you believe, Scripture teaches that a man who stands before God and rejoices is a man that is righteous in the eyes of God because of Jesus. It's Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father but by me. So Job is saying, okay, I hear what you're saying. There will be a judgment one day. See, Bildad and Eliphaz and many other people today believe that this is heaven and this is hell, and it depends on how you live every day, whether you're, whether you're experiencing it or not. Or they believe that one day God's just going to let everybody into heaven and, and there won't be a punishment for anybody. Or they come up with all these different positional religious statements. But Scripture teaches that one day there will be a judgment. Every man will stand before God, and you will either be declared righteous through Christ or you will be separated forever. That's what Job is agreeing to. Bildad's not saying that that way, but Job says it better because he goes on. He says, did you know that a man who stands before God must be a man considered righteous? And then Job goes and asks this question, how 
can a man be righteous before God? How? Now, this is where I want to remind us that Job is, many assumed, the earliest written scripture available. That Job is living at or near the time of Abraham, not close to Abraham. And Job knows things about God because of his Yahweh relationship with God. But God is revealing himself through the rest of his word, through this pattern that we know begins with Abraham and ends with Jesus. And Job talks about the same thing through this supernatural ability that God's given him through this relationship. I think that's awesome. And then Job says, but how can a man be righteous before God? And then in verses 3 through 10, let's start, he begins to define the greatness of God. Look at verse 3. He said, a man cannot contend with God successfully one out of a thousand times. He says, if a man seeks to come before God in a court case or appeal to God in a thousand times, Job says, they will not win, not a single time. Verse 4. God is wise and mighty. Who can fight against him? Verse 5, he removes the mountains. He overturns them, and the mountains cannot stop it. Verse 6 says he shakes the whole earth. Verse 7, all of creation listens only to him. Verse 8, he alone rules the heavens and the earth. And then look at verse 10. He does great things past finding out. Past finding out, church, that's an important thing. That means that you can think about the things that God does, and you're never going to be able to comprehend it. You're not going to figure out the why and the how. He's that good. He's that great. He's that far ahead of us. Isaiah said the same thing in Isaiah 55, 8. He said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Church, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that my ways and God's ways are not the same? Aren't you glad that God is greater than you and me and all men? Aren't you glad that God is greater than creation, that God is greater than everything? As Daniel told Belshazzar, your very breath is in my hand. Church, can I just, as we did in Sunday school, this next breath. God gave you that. And he knows the course of your life. And he knows one day you're going to stand before him. My question is, is do you know one day you're going to stand before him? Verse 11 no, verse 10, it says, he does wonders without number. It means God does so many things that if we tried to start calculating them, numbering them, counting them, we wouldn't be able to. Ephesians 3.20 says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. God desires and is able to do things that we can't comprehend. Do you know that God says, I'll do more in your life than you can think about? And I'll do more in your life than you can imagine. Any of you have a big imagination? God says, whatever you can come up with, whatever you can come up with, 
what I have for you is better. It's better. Job goes on in verse 11. He said, he moves without my knowledge. Verse 12, he does what he knows is best. Verse 13, he reminds us again that God will judge fully one day. And in verse 14, he says, how can I answer him? How am I going to stand before him? He goes in verse 15, he said, my righteousness. And we have to remember, God has defined Job, right? As blameless and upright, fearing God and shunning evil. We know that God has allowed Job to struggle and suffer, not because Job is under God's discipline, but because God is demonstrating the power of his faith given to Job through relationship. And even Job says in verse 15, for though I were righteous, I couldn't answer him. Even if I did it all right, I couldn't answer him. Look at verse 20. I know we didn't read it, but look at verse 20 while you're right there. It says, though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Do you know that many times we think we are righteous? Job is not saying, if I'm righteous, I still can't stand before God. What Job is saying is, if I think that I've lived my life well enough to be able to stand before God because I have been righteous, even when I open my mouth, I will reveal that it's not true. Job is saying, no man can stand righteous before God. Job is saying, I fall short. I fail to meet God's standard. And church, it's in this moment that God reminded me, and maybe it's because I'm sharing Jesus without fear during the week, or maybe because I'm studying it, or maybe because God's just impressing upon us. But in this moment, I was brought to Romans 3.23 that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Apart from Jesus Christ, you and I cannot stand before God. Amen? And then Job talks, and if you want to, go with me. I'm in verses 27 and 28. Because, see, a lot of people don't want to go, well, so the answer is Jesus and only Jesus. And, and, and so Job says, let me just point out a couple of things to you, Bildad, my friend. Verses 27 and 28, let me just read this. He, if he says, I will forget my complaint, I will, put on my, I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. You know what Job said? He said, I'll just act like everything's good. You ever tried to do that? Life is hard. You're struggling. But in this world, you're going, but I can't struggle before God. 
So we pretend that we're not struggling. We put on our smiley face and we walk through life hoping no one notices that we're really a wreck. Perhaps today you're trying the I'll come before God with a smiley face on versus anything else. And if so, Job's going to tell you that's not going to be enough because he goes on in this verse and he says, I know you will not hold me innocent, even if I have a good attitude. And in verses 29 and 31, Job says, if I'm condemned, why do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with, what, with snow water and cause my hands to be clean with soap, Job says, I will just be better. I'll do better. I'll do better. I'll be cleaner. I'll be better than anybody. You ever tried that? You're dealing with the problem. You're dealing with sin. Something's in your life, and you fail, and you fall, and you're so tired of coming to God before it, and you think he's so tired of hearing from you that you just go, I'll just try harder. Right now, some of us try harder every day just to be good, thinking that we will stand before God having tried our best, and God will honor our best efforts at trying. And then Job says right here, you will plunge me into the pit, verse 31, and my own clothes will abhor me. Let me talk about seeking to be super good for just a second. I've used this analogy before, but I just can't get away from it. So just put up with me a little bit. But Scripture talks about in Isaiah 64, 6. It says, all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Now, I've shared with you this analogy from the Carol Burnett show years ago, where at the end of the show, it's about to end, and she's dressed up like the maid, and she's got the broom in her hand, and she's got this spotlight, and she sweeps it, and she sweeps it, and she tries to put it all together, and the light gets smaller and smaller. And God's impressed upon me. That's what I like to try to do with all my righteous things. I like to pull them all together and go, God, look at that. That pile's bigger than their pile. That's a good-sized pile, God. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And Scripture says, God looks at me and he says, Jeff, nice try. But all of your righteousness compared to who I am is just filthy rags. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every man at his best stands before the Lord having missed the mark. I nor you can be righteous enough. Notice that Job's mind is beginning to shift. He's no longer talking about how he feels. He's beginning to trust God more, talk about the things of God more. Job is beginning to see a greater problem. As he said in Job 9-2, how can a man be righteous before God? So let's reread. I told you we read these, but let's reread verses 32 and 33. 
For he, he, Job, talking about God, for he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Paraphrase, Job says, I can't stand before God. Nor is there anybody to help me. Job recognizes that he will need help to be able to stand before God, that he cannot do it alone. He knows that without gaining such help, he will perish before God. My mind went to Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Wages, it's what you earn. What we have earned because of our sin, what we what we deserve because we are unrighteous before a righteous God is death. Our inability to be righteous before God will lead to death eternally. Now, do you remember that conjunction I talked about earlier? Koala bears are not bears, comma, but... They are marsupials. That sentence is now correct. There's another conjunction I want to point out to you. Go back and look at verse 2. This I know it is so. No, truly, I know it is so. How can a man be righteous before God? That conjunction right there, but I love that conjunction. One of my favorite words in all the Bible. But means there's something different. Romans 6, 23, I've alluded to it already. For the wages of sin is death, comma, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word but makes this not only not a comma splice in Romans 6.23, but it also grants unto us the hope for help. Tells us that there is a way that we can have life, which means there is a way that we can be seen as righteous. 1 Timothy, write this down. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Recall in verse 33 of Job chapter 9, Job says, Nor is there any mediator between us. Job says, I got to have help. And God says, that's what I'm doing. Jesus is that mediator that Job is counting on, that God has provided. Jesus is that only way. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father but by me, which means our righteousness is only possible through Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became unrighteous when he took your sin 
and shed his blood and died and paid the price so that you, through faith, could be made righteous. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Another word for our righteousness received from faith in Christ is justification. Let me give you this. Justification is your legal standing before God because of Jesus Christ. It occurred once at your conversion and will last for all time. Justification is 100% entirely the work of God. You are seen as perfect in this life because God sees you as justified through Jesus Christ, his son. His justification is identical for all Christians who are truly saved. Now, I need us to understand. Remember earlier we said we will all stand before God one day? And I believe it's the Holy Spirit's job that God has told us to bring conviction. I believe that in your heart of hearts, I'm talking about a place that you don't let anybody else know about. I believe in your heart of hearts right now, either the Spirit of God is saying, I know you, you're my child through Jesus. Or you got crickets. You're not. Now, I don't care how many times you've been to church. I don't care how much you've given. I don't care what you claim. The only thing that matters in the end is what does Jesus say about your heart status. And so this justification, when I came to know Christ at the age of 11, I didn't become good. I didn't become perfect. I'm not even smart based upon my recognitions of my grammar and English deficiencies. But what I did become, thank the Lord, is justified. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, which means that this justification, when you stand before God in that day, and you will stand before God one day, you are either going to be facing the wrath of God or because of Jesus, you will be free from it and have life. I've read this before, and we'll read it again, but go to Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19 is Job's response to Bildad's second encouragement to him. And in Job chapter 19, when you get to verse 25, we're going to see that because Job knew God personally, Yahweh 
that Job had faith that God has supernaturally allowed Job to know and understand his future. Let me read Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. It says this, this is Job speaking, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. I know my Redeemer lives. I shall see God. My heart yearns within me. Job has a hope through his Redeemer. Let's just go ahead and finish. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you notice that still sinners? God took the action. He moved and did all that he did before I was even born, and he knew that I was going to be grammatically challenged. But he sent Jesus anyway to give me an opportunity to be redeemed. Aren't you glad? Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know that what Job knows, you can know? What Job trusts in, you can trust in? What helps Job walk through a, the most challenging time of maybe anybody we've ever known is this hope in his Redeemer. Church, there are times when what you have day to day is hard to hold on to. There are times when what we're hoping to create one day is hard to hold on to. But Scripture teaches us that Jesus is the answer and will give you the ability to hold on every single day. Amen? Job says, who can stand before God? Who can be righteous before him? And Job says, I know my Redeemer lives, so let me give you an answer. You can stand before a righteous God. Only, only as you yield your life to Jesus as Savior. He takes your unrighteousness. He grants to you his righteousness, and God forever sees you justified. Now, just one final thing that I want to state. I was in a class. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking a, a class. And it talked about in there how people struggle with the forgiveness of God. But many times they struggle more with forgiving themselves. And there's perhaps something in your life right now that you're holding on to because you're going, that is so bad. God will never forgive that. God can't cover that. 
I'll never forgive myself for that. Well, if you know Jesus today, let me just remind you of how you are seen by God. If in this moment, God were to open up the clouds and look down upon you and say, hey, look at me a second. Because of Jesus, here's how I see you. Perfect, righteous, and holy. And you'd go, God, I'm not perfect, righteous, or holy. He says, yeah, but Jesus is. And that's how I see you. So church, if God has forgiven you, redeemed you, he's also set you free. And Satan would love for you to continue to carry that baggage in your life of, I can't forgive me. Do you know when you say you can't forgive you for something that God has covered already, you're telling God he doesn't know what he's talking about. You better check your faith. If you're carrying around baggage that you don't think God can forgive, it's probably because you've not confessed it to him and given it to him. And therefore, you may not know Jesus. But if you know Jesus... He will flood you with the Holy Spirit, and then you will be taught through studying God's Word and trusting Him of how God sees you. So Job said a mouthful this week. I pray that you'll go back and read these chapters, and you'll look for this thread through here. But Job is pointing out, yes, a man can be righteous only through the Redeemer. And we now know historically looking back, what Job looked like, hopefully looking forward, that Jesus is that answer. Amen? Amen. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Job and Bildad, they had quite a conversation around, and Bildad keeps looking through things because he doesn't know God personally. Job strives to look through things because he knows God personally. My encouragement today is, is how do you stand before God? And actually asking the question better might be, how does God see you standing before him right now? See, I can talk myself into a lot of things. I don't want you to hope. I want you to know on Jesus. Amen? Let God have his way, church. Let's pray.